0: Hi, I'm Josh Van Burkle. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Something very powerful about some of those older songs. Right? I love it. I love that, you know, you look at our band and what's the average age of the guys up here? Like 30? How old are you, Johanny? 21. And we're singing songs that were written before they were all born. I think that's awesome, right? It's a cool mixture of young and old. I think if our young people can sing old songs, then our old people can sing young songs. Is the challenge for you. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Josh. It's so cool to have you here along with the team Uh, I lead uh, here at Activate. And, um, you know, we, uh, I'll put that down actually, I'll pick that up in a minute. Uh, it's a big Sunday this morning because we're we're launching into a new kind of focus, a new season. Um, July, first Sunday in, uh, in July. And so you'll remember we kind of kicked off this year with a, a verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, where God says, "...if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven..." And I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And so we kind of launched this year by saying, hey, there's four things that God's asking of us. He's asking for humility. He's asking for prayer. He's asking us to seek His face and He's asking us to turn from our wicked ways. And we said, well, that's humility, that's prayer, that's intimacy and it's obedience. And so we spent a term on humility. We spent a term on prayer and this morning we launch into a term on intimacy and I love the way that God leads. You know, He'll give me a verse or an idea or a thought and then he'll just sort of confirm it as we go along. You remember last year we did a church fast, a seven day fast, and I thought that I was just picking the date that made the most sense to me. And then after we picked it and kind of launched into it, we discovered that it was the, the launch of the Jewish Holy Year. It was literally that seven-day period, which was pretty exciting. And uh, I touched on this a little bit last week, but what I want to do this morning is I just want to read something out to you, because I found it encouraging for where we are at. Uh, and then I just want to unpack a little bit of Bible story, and then maybe leave you with a bit of a challenge. Um, this morning. So who was here last Sunday? You guys are so good. One of the things I brag about, just to sidestep for a moment, I brag to other pastors about how consistent this church is with coming to church on Sunday. I say, look, most of the time, most of the people are here. And and that's actually, this sounds crazy, that's not usual. I'm talking with pastors who are stoked if 50% of their church shows up on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, man, we're like 80, 90% of people that call this place home are here on a Sunday. And that's cool. And it's really helpful for building momentum in the spirit and doing what God wants us to do. So thank you for making Sunday mornings a priority. But I talked last Sunday about a book that Pat had ambushed me with called How to Create a Habitation for God's Glory. And uh, it's a couple of hundred pages long. And I started reading it. I couldn't put it down. I read the whole thing in a day. Uh, And I just found it super encouraging. And I talked last Sunday about how in that book he had referenced another revival um, which featured a guy called Tommy Tenney. I told a little wee story about how Tommy Tenney got up and he was a guest speaking at a church in Texas and something amazing happened that morning. There was a massive move of God that started in that church and as the pastor of the church, so not Tommy Tenney, but as the pastor got up to share... There was a loud thunderclap, and he was thrown back about 10 feet from the pulpit. And the pulpit fell forward and split into two pieces before it hit the ground, like lightning had struck it. And I was thinking about it during the week, and I was like, well, what was that church doing? Because Tommy Tenney wasn't the pastor. I mean, he's the guy that wrote the book and kind of gets a bit of the credit for it. But he was just the guest speaker. He was just the guy that walked in on a Sunday morning and saw this happen. What was that church doing? And so I thought I'd do a little bit of research and I just found this very interesting. So if you just bear with me for just a minute, I'll give you the, the bullet points. Right, so in 1989, Richard Heard became the pastor of what was then called Christian Tabernacle in Houston, Texas. It's now called uh, Inspired Church. You can jump onto the website and have a look if you like. Uh, So he was pastoring there for about five years. In early 1994, despite taking very good care of his health, so he's got a lot in common with me, uh, he developed a heart problem, so not a lot in common with me, I take that back, Uh, which actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because he was very overworked in the church as can sometimes happen, um, but because he had this heart issue and he went into hospital and he actually should have died, the the church kind of went, "Well, we need to take a lot of the workload off Richard. We need to kind of free him up a little bit." And so, as a result, it released him into spending a lot more devotional time with God. And God began to address a lot of issues that he had in his life in terms of his relationship with Him and his identity and and knowing God. And he kept a journal during that time and over the next few years. And he wrote this. This is the pastor of the church. He said, Out of that, I spent the entire year of 1995 teaching. Every sermon I preached was on knowing Christ and intimacy with Christ. Our church moved into a different dimension in their relationship with God during that period of time and began to truly hunger after God. You see, we had all fallen into this dichotomy of religion where you're a Christian and a Christian is what you do, but it's not really who you are. It's where you have room for Him in your heart, but not a whole lot of room for Him perhaps in your life. And He really addressed issues like that with us so this church had been going on a journey for the better part of 12 to 18 months around intimacy with Christ. And then on Sunday morning, the 20th of October, 1996, so yeah, we're coming up 18 months or so later, Christian Tabernacle hosted the evangelist Tommy Tenney, and he wrote this in his book, The God Chases. He said this, We walked into the building for the 8.30 Sunday service, expecting to see the usual early morning, first service, sleepy crowd with their low-key worship. And as I walked in to sit down in the front row that morning, the presence of God was already in that place so heavily that the air was thick. He said, I could hardly breathe. The musicians were clearly struggling to continue their ministry. Their tears got in the way and music became more difficult to play. And finally, the presence of God hovered so strongly that they couldn't sing or play any longer. And the worship leader crumpled in sobs behind the keyboard. This is what I shared last week. He said, My friend, she's talking about Richard, the pastor, is not a man given to any kind of outward demonstration. He is essentially a man of even emotions. But when he got up to walk to the platform, he appeared visibly shaky. He opened the Bible and he quietly read the passage from 2 Chronicles 7:14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land then he closed the bible gripped the edge of the pulpit with trembling hands and said the word of the lord for us is to stop seeking his benefits and to seek him We are not to seek His hands any longer, but seek His face. In that instant, I heard what sounded like a thunderclap echo through the building. And the pastor was literally picked up and thrown backward about 10 feet, effectively separating him from the pulpit. And when he went backward, the pulpit fell forward. But by the time the pulpit hit the ground, it was already in two pieces. It had been split into two pieces, almost as if lightning had hit it. At that instant, the tangible terror of the presence of God filled the room. And the book goes on to talk about the fact that this eight thirty a.m. service ran until two o'clock the next morning, and people kept coming and coming because they had multiple services on that day. They kept coming for the next service, and people wouldn't leave. Talks about how people would get out of their car in the car park and just fall over in the car park. Because of the presence and power of God, they were crawling in through the front door and the ushers were having to pick people up and drag them and prop them up against the side of the walls. He said he saw a businessman ripping their ties off and I was like, man, wearing a tie to church, that's next level. Ripping their ties off and he said he saw people climbing over each other to get to the front. After a couple of hours, he said the, the repentance and the crying and the just the awe that people were under, people started coming up to him and saying, hey, I want to get baptised. I have to be baptised right now. But he couldn't do anything about it because the pastor was still unconscious from being knocked backwards. And every now and again, they'd check on him and he would just wiggle a, a finger. And so in the end, he said, hey, look, take the pastor out to the front office and, and leave him in there. Because he's distracting people. And then he was, he was kind of doing all the work. The pastor just got a free pass and... So when people came up and said, hey, I want to get baptised, he would send different you know, people out to the office, say, check with the pastor, I'm just the guest speaker. I don't know if I have the authority to start baptising people in this church. And he said he sent about eight people out and no one ever came back with an answer. And so in the end, he, seen, he grabbed the associate pastor and said, go find out what's going on. And the associate pastor, when he came back, he said, I opened the door to the office. They're all unconscious in the office. He said, I could go in and ask him, but I don't think I'll come back. (laughs) And so Tommy said, well, I just think he'll be okay with it. So they started baptising people. They baptised people. They baptised people. And this thing started, it ran for sort of six or seven weeks, you know, every night. And then they realised that they needed a break. And so they took a couple, they took Monday and Tuesday nights off. And they ran this thing from Wednesday to Sunday. And God did, you know, awesome, amazing things, amazing miracles. But what I found so fascinating was that the atmosphere that had been created in the lead-up to it was created through pushing into intimacy. And He made the point that the church had developed this unnatural hunger for the things of God. And that hunger was birthed out of intimacy. So I just want to encourage you as we move into this term on intimacy. It's it's all part of God's plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. We're on the right track. I have no idea what it looks like, but we're on the right track. And I was walking outside my house yesterday up and down my road, and, and I was talking to God about some different things and He reminded me of a a Bible story which I just wanted to share with you this morning and maybe just unpack it a a tiny bit. But it's the story of the rich young ruler. And if you want to look it up in your Bible or you're taking notes, you can go to Mark chapter 10. It starts in verse 17. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Uh, You can also find it in Matthew chapter 19. But as the story goes, you know, it says that Jesus is leaving. He's getting his stuff together. He's about to depart. Both Matthew and Mark agree on this point that Jesus has finished his assignment wherever he is and he's about to leave. He's got his gear together. He's probably even on the road heading out of town. He's got his disciples with him. He's got a crowd of people that have probably decided to go with him. And the Bible says that this this young guy came running up to him and fell on his knees And he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And I think it doesn't take a lot of insight to kind of step back and go, Well, let's just let's just try and add some details in here. Now the Bible doesn't tell us who he is, doesn't tell us where he's come from, but you can make a couple of assumptions, I think. I I think it would be safe to say that this young guy has been hanging around Jesus for a while. He's heard him preaching, he's heard him teaching. He's seen the miracles. I mean, this story is in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter eight, we've got the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 people with just a handful of loaves and fish. Very possibly He was there for that. And the more He sees and the more He hears and the more He understands, He goes, I have, I have to have this thing that Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of heaven that He's talking about, this eternal life. I, I have to have it. And then maybe He hears, hey, Jesus is leaving. He's packed His stuff. He's walking out of town, he's on his way to his next assignment. I think he was actually on his way to Jerusalem, and he thinks, God, it's narrow never, right? If I don't if I don't do something now, I'll miss it. And so he comes running to Jesus and both Matthew and Mark say the same thing. They say he fell to his knees. Like this guy is desperate. He does it in front of everybody. He's out in public, he doesn't care who sees him. Doesn't care who knows him, recognise him, goes, that's a bit embarrassing. He's on his knees. He says, Jesus, what do I have to do? Just, I'll do anything. Now, if you just froze it right there and you said to me, Josh, how does this guy's life pan out? I'd say, well, I bet you it's something awesome. I bet you he ends up doing something amazing for God. Like the passion, the desperation, the hunger, for what Jesus has, I bet you he ends up like some ministry. I bet you he writes some books in the Bible like, this guy sounds awesome. And then both Matthew and Mark record the next bit a little bit differently. But essentially, Jesus and this young guy have a little bit of a tater-tater, a quick wee conversation, which I won't go into this morning, but it's fascinating all on its own. But at the end of it, Jesus looks at him and he answers his questions. It's one of the very rare times in the Bible where someone asks Jesus a question and he actually answers it. And I like the way the NIV puts it because the NIV says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he says something which is very difficult for the young guy to hear. He gives him some truth. And, you know, one of the things that we need to understand is that love and truth are two sides of the same coin. Right? You can't love someone and not speak truth into their life. It's one of the things that the world has completely lost their mind over. The world has decided that if you tell someone the truth, if you speak truth to someone, that means you don't love them, which is not true. The truth is that you can't love someone and not speak truth into their life. If you see someone making a bad decision, if you see someone destroying their life, if you see someone going down the wrong way, love says you have to confront that. You have to tell the truth. And that's what Jesus does here. But I think also in the same way that you can't have love without truth, you should never communicate truth without love. So Jesus looked at him and he loved him And if we might say that sometimes the world, or a lot of the time the world has separated truth and love out, sometimes the church is known for speaking the truth but not being overly loving. Jesus is our example in this. He does both perfectly. He looks at him and he loves him and he says to the young guy, Hey, one thing you lack. You want to know how to get eternal life, you want to know how to do relationship with me, you want to go deep with me, you want to be a disciple of mine, you want to travel with me, journey with me, you want our lives to intertwine, here's what I need you to do. He says, I need you to go and sell everything you've got, your home, your land, everything. And then I want you to give your money away. And then you can come and follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away Sad because he had great wealth. I was thinking about this yesterday and I thought, I wonder how that happened. I mean, when Jesus said it, the guy's on his knees. He's just poured his heart out. He said, I have to have it. I'm so desperate. I'm so hungry. And then Jesus says, okay, you want it? Here's what it's gonna cost you. And the young man looks up at him and he stands up. He wipes the dust from his knees, and he says, "That is too high a price to pay." And off he goes. How do you how do you go from so passionate, so desperate, so hungry, "I'll do anything," to within a minute, oh, "I'm out." think the challenge for us in that story is that we can figuratively or even literally be on our knees begging, I'm so desperate, I'll do anything, God, I'll do anything. And then God says, okay, this is what it's going to cost. And we go, oh, actually, changed my mind. I want to be really clear right from the start about what I think God wants to do in this place. And if you're a part of it, what He wants to do in your life. Because Jesus Himself said, don't make any big decisions without counting the cost. He said, if you decide to build a house, you get halfway through it and you run out of money, everyone will laugh at you because you've got half a house built and you look like an idiot. It was Jesus' advice. So as we step into this Season on intimacy. I want to be up front. While I'm up front, did you see what I did there? That was that was witty. This is what I feel like God's saying. He says, "Look, I I'm inviting you guys. I'm inviting each of you into." A greater level of intimacy with me. I'm inviting you into a, a depth of relationship with me that you have not experienced before. And there is going to be a grace released in this place, in this season, for you to go deeper than you've ever gone before. But at the same time, I want you to understand it's not free. Salvation is free. Jesus dying on the cross for us was free. You can't earn that. Right? That's grace. But going deep with Him costs you something. And The more I've talked with Him about what He's got planned for us over this time, the more uncomfortable I get because the more He reveals to me that, Josh, there is stuff in your life, there's stuff in all of our lives that you have to deal with. There is, in order to go deep, I'm going to have to dig out some stuff. I mean, just think about it practically. Let's say that your relationship with God is like level four deep. And He says, Pat, I want to go level 10 deep with you. But to get from level four to level 10, i got to dig through level five, six, seven, and eight and nine. And just so you know, there's some real curly stuff at your level seven that you have not, not you, Pat, but you know, that, that you haven't dealt with. There's some anxiety, there's some fear, there's some trauma, there's all sorts of things. God was talking to me just a couple of weeks ago about something in, in my life and uh, and He said, I, you need to deal with that because what I'm calling you into and by extension the church, you can't you can't step into that while you've got this issue. You need to deal with that. And I said, I don't know how to deal with that. And He said, go and see this person and ask them to pray with you through it like, oh, right then. So I went and saw someone. I felt very silly because I was like, I don't know if this is a, even a thing. But I, I, said, I, I said, I'm here because I feel like this is what God said. And he said, yep. He said, very often when God has a new level for someone to step into, he will highlight the things that are going to stop that from happening. And it was uncomfortable and it was embarrassing and it was awkward. And it would have been much easier to just go, no, thanks God, I like you at level three. That's fine. So over the next few weeks, we have literally got nothing concrete planned. Because I talked to God about planning it. He said, dude, don't plan intimacy. That's not romantic. (laughs) I think the way that he put it was, he said, the more you plan intimacy, the more you ruin the date. I mean, who's ever been out on a date with someone that they love that they're trying to build intimacy with, and they're like, it's 7.15, now we need to go here. It's 7.25, now we need to go here. These are the list of topics for conversation at our date. Like, you are just be like, ugh, get me out of this. All right? so we've got a very loose plan. We'll be here on Sunday at 10. We'll have worship music playing, and, and we're just gonna let God deal with the things that He wants to deal with. But I wanna warn you up front, I think there is the potential for it to be a little bit painful. I expect there'll be tears. I expect that there'll be a huge part of you that does not want to respond at various times. That applies to other people, but not to me. And I just want to encourage you to go on the journey with him. Because I do genuinely believe that what he has for us in this season, in this place, is unique and special. Is that cool? I want to give you the same opportunity that Jesus gave this young guy. And that is to say, look, this is going to cost you something. I can, I can point, and I'll finish with this, and maybe we'll just do a, a little bit more of a song just to kind of wrap things up. But I can point to the place on my road outside my house where a number of years ago I was walking, and I heard God say, clear as day, just inside my heart. He said, Josh, when was the last time you did something for me that cost you something? And I remember I stopped walking. I said, what do you mean? He said, what do you think I mean? When was the last time you did something that cost you something for me? I had to really think back. And I'm embarrassed had to say I would go back quite a while before I found what I consider to be an authentic example of, of me doing something for God that cost me something—whether it costs energy, whether it costs pride, whether it costs you know other people's opinions of you, whether it costs money—I want to be clear: if you want to go deep with Him, it will cost you something. In the case of the rich young ruler, it cost him everything. God looked at him, he recognised where he was at and he named a price that he knew was going to challenge him. And this young guy made the wrong choice and we never hear from him ever again. Who knows what would have happened if he'd said, I'll do anything for you and he'd fallen in with Jesus and carried on on that trip. Who knows what could have ended up. We never hear from him again because he said, it's too expensive. Why don't you just close your eyes this morning? We're just gonna take a, a minute. I just wanna give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak. I've said enough. I'm just gonna let the music keep playing and what I want you to do is I want you to just I want you to just sit with what I've said. And I want you to make a decision in your heart, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit who's here right now, am I prepared to pay the price to go deep with you? just as you're doing that, another question that I've got for you to ask him, I want you to just ask him, Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to start with? Maybe he'll bring something to your mind that he's asking you to give up. Maybe he'll bring something to mind that he's asking you to start doing. But just right now, Holy Spirit, What do you want me to start with? We're gonna sing, Lord, I give you my heart. But let me let me just finish by saying this too. I wanna just make sure that you understand that he is gentle. And he's not gonna ask you to do anything. Or let me put it another way, he's not gonna make you do anything that you don't want to do. He'll he'll ask you to do things. He'll say, Hey, here's here's what I'm asking you to do. But he's not gonna make you do it. At the end of the day, it's it's all your own choice. If you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling a little bit unsettled, like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Just just chill. It's okay. He loves you. He knows what is best for you. He's not gonna lead you down a path that's you know destructive or anything like that. And, and we're not gonna do anything in this space that's in any way going to impact people's privacy or or anything like that. This is gonna be a safe place for Him to deal with the things in your life that you are prepared to allow Him to deal with. If anything that I've said this morning has raised any questions, just please come and see me. Flick me an email. The church email that goes out comes straight from my email address. You can just reply to that and say, hey, i got some questions about Sunday. What what about this? What about that? Is this what you meant? Always welcome the opportunity to clarify things. I wish I was someone that got up and Got it 100% right every time I said what I wanted to say, but I'm not. So if you're ever unsure, just check. What I do know is that he is excited, he's excited about going deeper with every single one of you. He's got plans, he's got purposes. There are things about your life that you don't even know yet. Things about your destiny that He's calling you to you haven't even discovered yet. I don't care how old you are. Let me pray for you and we'll wrap things up. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that Lord, we're just so grateful that you love us. God, we're so grateful that you're not, you're not happy unless you have all of us. God, you, you take whatever we give you and and you love that much, but God, there's so much more, so much more of our life that we could do with you, God, so much more dreaming we could do with you, Lord. There's so much more that you have for us, Father, and, and I thank you, Lord, that you are so patient and so kind Lord you've been waiting in some cases for years for decades even for us to recognize the truth that you have nothing but love for us that we are your sons we are your daughters God that we can open up every single part of our life to you God and Lord, I pray for every single person here this week, Lord, that you would just reveal to them, God, what the first step is, God, where you want them to start. God, I pray, as I pray for myself, I pray for every single person here that you would stir up a hunger for you. Lord, a passion for you. Lord, a desire for you that cannot be satiated. Lord, that nothing would satisfy us but your presence, God. Lord, I pray you would ruin us for everything other than you. In Jesus' name, amen.